For April 6th, 2020, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 614. What is a tiger? What does that even mean? Welcome to Overthinking It, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. The overthinkers are like, well, we're like a roadside attraction where you come in and see your smart, funny friends from the internet in cages, out of their natural habitat. They're being trafficked for money all around the country. Have you ever pet a baby Pete Fenzel? Because let me tell you, it is a life-changing <laughs> experience. Give it no. a month, Matt. <laughs> I'll be able to say, yeah. <laughs> Discourse. Rawr! Discourse. <laughs> We're here to talk about the uh, phenomenon that is the Netflix. Uh, you know, guys, I'd nearly said documentary, but I stopped myself because, like, I would like the word documentary to mean something more than, like, than what the word nonfiction means, you know, in, in regards to book publishing, right? Like, nonfiction could be literally anything that's not a novel, you know, a cookbook, a, uh, a, a conspiracy theory, uh, a racist screed. All of these things are nonfiction nonfiction, you know, and, and I, I guess what it, is Tiger King, a documentary? Is it a film? It's with a doc- true crime show. It's, it's a true crime show in the sure. spirit of serial, right? It's an entertainment. Like- okay. So it's an entertainment video series, an entertainment TV show on Netflix. Uh, that is, that incorporates into it, uh, footage that was shot of real people who, at least as far as we know, are not acting out a, you know, scripted, um, a scripted drama, uh, th- which is to say, if they are pretending, they are not totally aware that they are pretending or they're pretending for real or something like that. Tiger King. It's a very long, very long sentence to end with Tiger King. So uh, all spoilers for all books here. We've watched the entire series of Tiger King, which, you know, press play on episode one and you'll watch the entire series of um, uh, you'll watch the entire series yourself. I I really resisted this. uh, And then I of course, I couldn't stop myself once I, I started watching the first episode. So, um, so all spoilers, you know, spoiler alert starts now. Uh, I, Tiger King is a show about animals who are abused and uh, people who are trying to kill each other, but uh, who unfortunately are not doing it fast enough. No, uh, let's get a little, let's get a little takedown. <laughs> they're, they're also abusing the animals. So yet, yeah. <laughs> and they're also abusing the animals animals are purporting to love slash save them um so let, well yeah the discourse of like what is saving an animal is something that i think that we that that we should get into but mark i don't know do you want to give a can you give an unbiased uh fair and balanced look at tiger king no no such thing exists but i will try to very briefly relay the key points of this uh, in case you're stumbling upon this and haven't seen it yet. If you're trying to be too cool for school and and avoid this, I, I say don't. Just 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 watch it. We're not exactly endorsing it, but the spectacle of it is irresistible and undeniable. So here we go. Okay, the primary character of this is a man 
His name is uh, his stage name is his, his nom de tiger is Joe Exotic. He operated a huge menagerie, private zoo full of big cats in Oklahoma. And um, his primary antagonist is Carol Baskin, who operated a, quote unquote, big cat rescue operation in Florida. Um, Carol Baskin accused Joe Exotic of abusing his animals. Um, Joe Exotic accused Carol Baskin of killing her husband and feeding him to the tigers. Um, And that is still an an unsolved mystery, an, an open case. Um, lots of things ensue. Eventually, Joe Exotic is convicted of attempting to hire a hitman to kill Carol Baskin uh, and also various uh, infractions against the Endangered Species Act, including euthanizing some of the tigers he was um, he had in his menagerie. Um, that is just an extremely brief summary of things here. There are a bunch of other side characters, all of whom are extremely colorful, but none more so than Joe Exotic. Who is a gay man? Who is a hillbilly? Who has this outrageous redneck accent? Who shoots guns? Who 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 walks with a limp and a cane? Um, he is beyond mere description of words. This is why I said before that you really just owe it yourself to just give into it and just watch this thing. You've never seen anything or anyone like this before. Um, to um, be and fair, really hope, yeah, Pete, go ahead. <laughs> to be fair, I would also suggest not watching it. <laughs> um, not that I necessarily think that you shouldn't, but this is a very this is a disturbing show, and you might not think it's disturbing while you're watching it, but after the fact, it can really get to you. This is not like a fun show about wacky people doing wacky things. This is a show where people's limbs are real people's limbs are actually torn off, where there is live video footage of people committing suicide, right? Like, this is a show of, like, weeping and gnashing of teeth that is papered over with high theatrics, like high, high theatrics, and a huge amount of spin. Emphasis Uh, on high, also. Yeah. So if you're easily upset, if you're, like, trying to sort of uh, find your serenity right now, and, like, if I could be a little bit kinder, if this whole COVID-19 thing has you really stressed out and you're kind of feeling that the agitation in your body is, like, needing a little bit of extra care, uh, don't watch Tiger King. Tiger King is a trauma recapitulation, right? People are, I think, to an extent, watching it because they are upset, uh, and and uh, and it makes you more upset. Uh, I mean, it's also, it's also quite the spectacle and quite the show in a very thrilling kind of like crime show and about like nefarious folks and and whether they're going to get their comeuppance and whatnot and karma and whatnot um but i will say as much as mark is saying you should watch it because it is a tv show that kind of stands out for its uh in in a way that at least for the moment feels somewhat somewhat original um i would also caution you uh to take care of yourself because it is a show that is kind of disturbing um and it does not seem that way because because the name sounds whimsical. Uh, so I just want to put that out there right now. Sorry, I, would add, I would add that it's, it starts out more whimsical and just kind yes. of your jaws dropping before about how ridiculous these people are. And then it becomes uh, very disturbing and sad. Just like the, the patheticness of, of humanity on display by the end becomes quite a lot. Yeah. Um, would you say it's a bait and switch, Pete? Well, it's like cereal, right? In the sense that it's like, like you guys listen to Serial on NPR, yeah. the first yeah, season, yeah. not the second season, where they go through in one episode of it. It's a radio show about a murder, uh, an unsolved murder, as it were, or someone on trial for a murder that happened while they were both in high school that goes back and seeks to reconstruct the events, right, of, of the of the night and of the murder and tries to ascertain whether the uh, accusations are warranted or not. And the different, the Serial isn't a sort of beginning to end 
end argument where they lay out all the facts and bring you through kind of all of the evidence and draw you to a conclusion one way or the other. It's it's a Rashomon-esque retelling of the same event many, many times where they'll very deliberately in the course of one episode, you know, lead you to think that one particular conclusion is especially credible. And then in the next episode, they will come in and they will uh, reverse it. Right. And, and part of this is for the sake of the storytelling. I do think in serial, it really is they're trying in an earnest and sincere way to investigate and in the sense of investigation to kind of come to understand. Uh, and it's a challenge. And the and the 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 pace that they they landed on is a manifestation of that challenge. But in Tiger King, it's for pure entertainment value, I think. Uh, I mean, I guess also for sort of thematic artistic value to the extent that the show is a uh, a kind of fake work of fiction, right? It's sort of a constructed work of editing uh, as much as it is a, a collection of footage. Um, but but each episode may lead you to completely different conclusions about what is going on. And so you can watch the first episode and you come to one sort of conclusion. The first episode of Tiger King is somewhat reminiscent of, say, like the first episode of Cobra Kai uh, in that it like poses you a problematized <laughs> idea of what you might think of as the traditional narrative of this kind of situation. Right. Um, but then the subsequent episodes of Tiger King, um, I won't necessarily say they de-problematize it, but these the priorities change. Right. Um, and it definitely gets more disturbing in the middle. Um, well, because it involves the sort of descent of people uh, from from at the very at the very least from from not good health, but not terrible health into like bad health, both mentally and physically. Uh, and there's a lot of desperate folks who are in really bad shape who are in the show. But, yeah, that, that's what I would say to that is that it's it does start out light. I've, I would even venture to say that if you just watch the first episode of Tiger King, it's entirely enjoyable and you probably get like maybe 60% of the enjoyment of the entire show just from the first episode, you just won't be able to participate in all the conversations everybody else is having about it, which is probably why you would want to watch it as much as anything. I don't know, Matt, what do you think? Yeah, but Pete, what, what, I mean, what do you mean by enjoyment? It's, I, I am taken by your, I think you're yeah. absolutely right about, uh, like not, you know, choosing not to watch it is actually a totally valid <laughs> way to go. Yeah. Uh, you know, there, there, it's a really defensible position, uh, these days, especially given that that, you know, we're we're in a sort of highly stressful time, sort of grieving the loss of like a normal world, which, you know, uh, we may have been naive to think we possessed in the first place. But, you know, we did. And it's, you know, changing. And like, that's really hard for a lot of people for a lot of different reasons. And, you know, you may not want your your equanimity messed with. Um at this particular time. And yet this is the environment into which this thing has been released and in, in which it's just going great guns in the marketplace. You know what I mean? Like the, the it's, it's huge. It's a phenomenon. People, people are watching it. And so like it, you know, in these, I hate to be like in these times guy or now more than ever guy, but like it at this time, it is speaking to people, you know, who, who, would probably not describe themselves as wanting their equanimity messed around with. So like, this is the, you know, the, in these, this is the kind of the situation. In fact, that like, um, people are finding something in it, you know, which is, you know, they would probably like incorrectly describe as some sort of escapist kind of pleasure or, uh, or, you know, something like that, that is, is pleasing them. But like, what, so like the question of like, what is enjoyment and what is the enjoyment of, 
of this show. Like, you know, this is, I, I am, uh, um, See, I am an NPR listener, and uh, th- this will become important later. Um, and I-, I am enough of an NPR listener to be able to, well, actually, you and say, well, Serial was not broadcasted on NPR. Serial was a podcast. But you think it was broadcast on NPR because podcasts are terrible now. Uh, rather than, you know, uh, a bunch of dude bros sitting around talking about pop culture like they were in the glory days of podcasting, now they're, uh, you know, NPR producers making, making shows. And they were, it, it's the This American Life production company that made um that made serial and you know sarah canning i think worked in in public radio before so it it kind of is in that in that milieu and like i just like i didn't you know uh i i didn't want to watch tiger king to start because like i i was a little bit like look i i don't want to watch the show where we get all judgy about the trashy people now you 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 may have noticed the striking hypocrisy of yeah. uh, <laughs> of my position but you know um like i am a as i say i am an npr listener and one of this thing one of the things that predisposes me to is thinking that you know big cat sanctuaries should be uh, organized under uh Section 501c3 of the the tax code and not, uh, you know, fly by night roadside attractions in in central Florida or whatever, or the Florida panhandle or whatever, like the, the, um, you know, I'm I'm and I'm totally comfortable espousing that level of of cultural snobbery. And it was like, I, you know, the 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 whole pleasure of this is going to be sort of looking at the people and saying, like, um, you know, these are garbage people and I feel better ba- about them than, you know, it's like issue. It's like issue plays, you know, issue things like, oh, you know. Uh, yes, I, 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 yes, I went to see, I went to see the brilliant social issue play. I went, did you see it, Pete? Did you see the play that, that attacks, that, that really attacks the people who are on the wrong side of the social issue? Did you, did you see it, how it really takes it to the people who, uh, you know, are discriminating against the, the, the poor people who are affected by the social issue? And like, we all felt like we were on the right side of the social issue by, uh, by going to see the important social social issue play um you know i sort of find that i i find that distasteful and like i i think that a certain amount of a certain amount of the pleasure of something like this is that like it it sort of gives you a uh it can give you a feeling of superiority you know and and like you can sort of enjoy that um but I, but I think there's, I think there's more to it than that. Like people describe it as like a train wreck that you can't look away from, or you know, it's it's been described to me in in a lot of ways. Like I know this is not, I know this is not good, or I know this is not wholesome in some way. But you know, I have to, uh, I sort of have to keep watching it. And I, you know, I found that like I found it super compelling once I, uh, mm-hmm. once I started watching it. Uh, I will say the thing was, I mean, I'm I'm not sure it was i mean are you convinced it was a suicide or that it was an accidental death because like uh he was messing around with a firearm um you know claiming you know believing or claiming that it that it couldn't go off because it didn't have a clip in and apparently he had a round chambered and in the 
the uh, the pistol and shot himself. It wasn't clear to me that it was a suicide. I, I mean, I thought it was an accidental killing of himself. And like that, that was um, kind of the most upsetting thing to me that was actually shown on film uh i guess not maybe not the most upsetting thing that was described but but and at the same time i actually thought like uh you know this is what a uh this is what acting school does to you and and what a small petty broken man i am i i thought like oh my god what great film technique to like actually just show the reaction shot uh you know through the surveillance ca- the the security yep. camera and the reaction was- looked so honest and unguarded right it, and i was like oh my god this uh, remember this <laughs> remember this for the acting you know <laughs> can we talk about just for a moment we talk about how just some moment how uncanny that shot was right because um he freezes completely motionless right and you think that the image is just a, a still frame and yet you see the time code ticking up yep that I've never seen anything like that before. Um, and I, that, yeah, that, that just goes like how compelling this whole yeah. damn thing is. Sorry, continue. Yeah. Totally, I mean, as I much mean, as 100%. I said not, that it's okay not to watch it, it's well made and it's good. I mean, I think that Tiger King is like a very expertly made series and I'm glad I watched it as much as I found it really upsetting. Yeah. It's um, like, because, yeah. yeah, a little bit like, uh, there, there should be kind of a content advisory on it. And like, yeah. uh, yeah. And that, that like, if you are particularly susceptible to to certain kinds of of upsetting things, or or particularly susceptible right now to to certain kinds of of upsetting things, I you know I I totally get it. And yet, like, yeah, people are you know people are crazy about this. And like, I guess like, I, is it a fair question to say w- what is the thing about it that that people are finding compelling? Like, what what would you say is or, or is that a stupid question? Like, no, it's because not it, a stupid question. Because it's obvious what people are finding. Compelling. Is it though? Are you sure? No, I don't. I <laughs> no, I don't think it is. I, Pete, I'm an yeah. NPR listener. I wouldn't have asked it if I thought it was a stupid <laughs> question. <laughs> That's true. But you would have, if you were on NPR, you would have asked it much lower in your register down here, right? You know, do we, do we really? Do we really understand? Have we? Have we? Have we really asked ourselves the question? Who is the Tiger King? Is this is this finally the episode where I figure out a radio voice and we'll, and we'll just we'll talk about it? This is David Allen Boucher here with Midnight Magic on 106.7. Next is Richard Marks. Sorry, uh, this is this is Joe Exotic on WKTKR. Okay, I wondered how long I wondered how long it was going to be before we got into the to the Joe Exotic Joe Exotic impression. So so here we go, Carol Baskin. <laughs> hey, Benzel, what is the appeal of this show? Oh, Carol Baskin is... Okay, the appeal of the show. Okay, okay. I, 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 do I have to talk like him? Uh, you know what I always say is that as time approaches infinity, all accents approach Wario. So it's like, <laughs> do I have to talk like... Do I have to talk like Joe Exotic? I'm a Wario. I'm a gonna ween. Uh, um, so, okay. So I have a rather complicated syllogism or a sort of synthesis of why I think this show is uh is is so is so good as it were so captivating though i will say in a simple sense um it presents and contradicts the uh, the uh proposition that that you forwarded in the very first episode in a very compelling way right which is that this is a show about 
classy people and trashy people. And it is a reality show, right, in which we are going to kind of laugh at and mock the people who are, you know, lower class, excuse me, either either lower class or less educated or like nouveau riche or like, you know, uh, you know, nonconforming to some sort of ideal or norm in some way. Uh, but what the first episode presents is a situation where the you know, because there's a very huge uh, class signification difference and, and class difference between the Oklahoma Zoo and the Florida, the Oklahoma Zoo, which refers to itself as a zoo, right, or as a wildlife show or entertainment, right, and the Florida Zoo, which is calls itself a sanctuary or, or wildlife refuge. Um, and what's presented in the first episode is that the people who are really bashing the, uh, you know, fly-by-night uh, you know, for profit wheeling and dealing, you know, we birth the cubs and we make a hundred thousand dollars off of them and then we feed them until they die and hope to turn a profit. Right. Um, versus like we save the animals and we provide them with the home. It points out that the business models of the two places are really in a sort of superficial way. Right. In terms of like the stated business that you would actually put on your tax forms, as opposed to like all the other nonsense that may or may not be happening involving like embezzlement and fraud and and uh, organized crime and smuggling. But but barring all that other stuff, the surface level businesses are pretty much pretty similar and that there is a hypocrisy to the elitists who are saying that the other people's zoo is worse. Right. And because the elitists are also operating a zoo, whether they want to say it or not. And uh, and again, that's a controversial that should be a controversial statement because this is a show that's courting controversy. Yeah, but Pete, Pete, but the, 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 the elitist zoo is organized under Section 501c3 of the United States tax code. <laughs> and that, uh, you know, I can tell you as an NPR listener that that is that makes it OK. Like they they give a tote bag. None of its employees are paid. Right. Yeah, exactly. None of its employees make any money because it's a nonprofit. And that means that it's ethical if all the money only goes to the people running it, right? Yep. Uh, 100%. <laughs> hey, you know what? Those like Fred Flintstone outfits and those neck chains aren't cheap. So, uh, you know. <laughs> so, so what I think the show is doing, I think, is that the show is presenting a, a sort of cycle of different problems that all seem really terrible and really urgent and need and require some form of resolution and would if you were personally involved with them uh in, in, a, in a final fantasy sort of way right like fight run use magic use an item like do something like if you were in this situation <laughs> you would want to do something to fix it but the show makes it hard to nail down exactly what the fixing would be because the show keeps rotating the axis on which the problem operates and presents you with sort of different intersectional axes of like what's actually wrong and in doing so creates, I think, it seems by design, especially when it delves into politics, uh, a sort of dark carnival microcosm uh, of a sort of, uh, you know, uh, allegorized American society, right? This sort of the notion is that the big cat people who are spread across the United States and their various states and, and kind of come to the table with different perspectives uh, all have these rivalries with each other and all engage in these sorts of various sorts of fights with each other, which are all both totally recognizable to us and also uh, totally foreign to us. So it's a verb from Dunk's effect, right? It's an alienation effect where the show is you know, posing uh, criticisms or problems or potentially solutions and ideas about things that everybody who's living in the 
the country now to a greater or lesser degree as experienced or is thinking about. Uh, and it does so in the context of these super weird people. So it's sort of telling the truth and telling it slant, right? But there's so many of them that it's it's not like you come to like a very clear, you can come to the conclusion that like Joe Exotic is a terrible person and it's good that he's in jail, but it does seem inadequate to the situation to like fully clar- characterize it like that. Um, so that was my thinking, right? Is that part of it is that it's a suspense-based show and the suspense is like, well, what's the point? And you sort of think you're going to get to the point where you think you know what the point is. Like, for example, in the first episode, you meet Joe Exotic and he's really crazy. And when I say crazy in the context of this, I mean it in the sense of like the way the editor is portraying them as semi-fictionalized people. I don't want to say, oh, they're mentally ill or not or what's the cause of why they're acting a certain way. They're being put forward as like this is a crazy person who is a lunatic. Right. And like is not is not thinking clearly is doing is behaving erratically and is. is a lunatic. He is, he is he is at the effect of the phases of the moon. He is a lunatic. Right. That's uh Yes, exactly. And so you're like, oh, well, Joe Exotic is a lunatic. And then you look in Florida and it's like, oh, Carol Baskin is like a hypocrite, right? And she's not necessarily as bad as Joe Exotic, but she's really sticking it to him. And she's and she's has it so much better than he's had it uh, in her life based on what you know in the first episode. So like and, you know, victimizing him, uh, that seems it feels wrong in certain ways. Like, you know, for example, Joe, Joe uh, Exotic comes from the proletariat and uh, Carol Baskin comes from the bourgeoisie and therefore Carol Baskin is evil. Right. Uh, but, uh, but it's like, uh, but then, and then you say, Oh wait, look, Joe exotic has these people working for him who seem pretty nice. Right. Like they're, they're working, they're working people, right. They, they are not usually erudite. They don't speak with a great deal of kind of complex analysis about the situations with endangered animals. And they're mostly animal caretakers, but like they seem, okay, these are the salt of the earth folks who are going to be sort of the grounding of all this. And if anybody's going to sort of save the situation, it's going to be them, right? The people who actually take care of the animals. And then the first thing that happens in the second episode is one of their arms gets ripped off, right? And so you get, and you get like in the, she's, she has her arm in the first episode, right? Like in the first episode, she's just being interviewed by the, by the, the uh, quote unquote documentarian. And she has both of her arms. Yeah. Well, and then, actually, actually oh. straight off the bat. Are you sure? Well, no, no. Cause I, the, the, she, yeah, you the, see her, she's, she's got a stump of an arm. Oh, and like, oh that, that's some foreshadowing. Those, the, yeah. yeah oh, right, yeah. Because the, the interviews for the document documentary, I nearly said documentary, the interviews for the, the interviews for the documentary, uh, happened, subsequent to to that happening right like many years subsequent because i think that the interviews happened in like 2000 uh, 2018 2019 um and uh you know this goes this goes back really far far earlier than that you know Um, so it's in the footage in the footage she has both arms but then she loses an arm and then she's like oh my god and not only has she lost an arm but like She's she goes back to work in five days. And the thesis of the episode is that she has been brainwashed by her boss to, like, not care for her own safety. Right. And that's like the sort of thesis that's being presented in the episode. And so all of a sudden, this whole narrative that you have, like the salt of the earth folks taking care of the animals and they're going to be the solution is entirely blown up. Like, well, yeah, right there's, as soon as it allows you to come out. There's a similar thing that happens with with the character Carol Baskin also. Right. Where like in the first episode, she's the voice of reason. And like my uh, so I watched this with my girlfriend and she was um, she had seen it already. Like it's it is a testament to the power of Tiger King that I was like, you know, we decided to do this on 
the podcast. Uh, I don't know if you, uh, I, you know, I mean, it may be boring for you to watch it again. I don't know if you want to. Yes, absolutely. Let's watch it again right now. <laughs> you know, um, that like, uh, you know, and, and so like after the first episode, I was like, okay, I get it. Like Carol is being set up as like the voice of reason. She's the good guy. She's the like, you know, um, the one she's us, you know what I mean? She's like our surrogate in the, the telling of the mm-hmm. story. And okay. I, I like, I get the, I get the, like the media manipulation that's, that's happening here. And she was like, just keep watching yeah. <laughs> um, because a lot of the, you know, a lot of the things, a lot of the things that you say, and it's really more, it's really more implied than it has gone into in specific detail that like, to a certain extent, when you consider all the, you know, all the various axes, the kind of the intersection of all the various axes of, you know, kind of disadvantage uh, that the characters are, are, I call them characters, that the people that, that this show focuses on are laboring under, to a certain extent, Carol has it a lot better than Joe. And her continuing to antagonize him, even if it is sort of principled, right, um, even if it is sort of, you know, at least on paper, sort of principled based on like a disagreement over the ethics of the kinds of things he's doing with animals, um, that like, you know, she is sort of punching below her weight, you know, or she's punching down, I guess is the phrase that, that I, I mean to say, and she's pretty relentless. She and her husband are pretty, her second husband are pretty, are uh, pretty relentless about, you know, uh, punching down. And yeah, like I, I get that, that he's threatening her and that I get that, like he's saying all of these things, but to a certain extent, like it is the, the, you know, the kind of the, the, the violence of the way he talks, I really gives, gives lie more or less to, the, the kind of the impotence is sort of cultural insignificance more than anything else, except that this is America and everyone has firearms. Okay. I'm sorry, Pete, continue right. where, where you left. Let's say, yeah. So, I mean, cause that's, that's one of the, so I, I sketched out a list of what I saw as the sort of axes to try to unpack here, um, that to try. And I think to try to make sense of all the overlapping and to arrive at a sense for like, okay, what is wrong? <laughs> right. Cause that, that seems to me like one of the, the most difficult questions or most telling questions about this show is when you talk to people about it, what do they think is wrong? And there are so many different things that are wrong that I think it's worth to unpack some of the different things that are that are that are wrong uh, and some of the conflicts that are being thrown out there. Um, so so the first conflict that I had on my list and maybe if you don't mind, I want to go through some of these and you tell me what you think and maybe we can chat about it a little bit Um but but I think trying to organize my thoughts a little bit around this show is hard, part of how I'm coping with having watched it. Um, but uh, so so the first axis is the notion of sanctuary, the notion that that these are all people who have dedicated their lives and personalities and enterprises as they would lead everyone else to believe to providing a safe place. And this is a safe place for animals and it is a safe place for people. And then one of the big things that cuts across all these themes is the over-identification of, anim- of people, people over-identifying themselves with animals. People saying like, okay, uh, oh, wow, you know, I'm like the tiger. I'm like the lion. I'm like the chimpanzee that is in the cage, right? Or I, I you know, I, I see the animal and like, I want to help the animal, but I'm incapable of understanding other people 
or helping other people. Um, and I guess that's probably a little bit harsh. I guess it's also to say is that the show, uh, I think r- the way that the depiction and discussion of the animals resonates uh, reflects a Disney-inspired clarity with regards to the ethical superiority of animals over people, right? Like animals are – they're better, they're holier than us, right? Like like it's one thing to kill a person, but to kill a tiger, that's bad, right? Oh my god, the tiger got coronavirus. That's terrible. Now, of course, it's bad. It's like, oh no, it's transmitting to animals and that sucks. But like – but it's sort of like uh, – there, there's the but but on top of all that, okay, is this notion that these people pull people close to them and drive their enterprises by promising that they are the ones who are going to play these surrogate parental roles to folks and provide them with safety, pseudo parental, pseudo clerical, pseudo monarchical, right? I will provide you with the social contract or I will provide you with the refuge. And you can tell that because I exemplifying it here. And, and in this situation, there is a vast array of greater or lesser betrayals of that trust, whether it's merely this case of making somebody work a 12 hour day and not paying them in the case of Carol Baskin or like in the case of my personal least favorite guy, Doc Antle, right? Uh, Grooming a harem of teenage girls that you live polygamously with in a sex cult where they make them call you Lord uh, and all the other sorts of highly reprehensible things. Right. Um, But it's this notion that the thing that's wrong with that is that they are, they are purveyors of safety as a spiritual and personal concept and social concept, like the scene where Joe Exotic offers a, a trailer to the homeless woman. I wept. I like broke down crying because like because it's like, look, well, you can work at the burger barn and I'll give you a place to live. And she's so grateful. Right. She's so grateful in that moment. And I cried partially because I was already so emotionally buffeted around by all the horribleness of what was happening. And there was something really, truly beautiful in that moment of this person being helped. Uh, But you have to see that, you know, the show really does interrogate these people as helpers and reveals them almost entirely to fall short of their own, you know, their own values in terms of how they treat other human beings, let alone the animals. There's a big sort of coda about how they all treat, how the anim, none of the animals benefit from any of this conflict, but how they treat the other people is really, uh, is really kind of what it gets down to. So, so access one is like, there is a huge problem of sanctuary and protection. Um, and, and that is running through this whole thing. Fair enough. Right. Um, any, 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 any thoughts about that? Does that sort of stir the pot at all for you guys? Did you, how did you feel about like, Joe, uh, you know, first being presented as somebody who helps the sort of homeless drifters of Oklahoma build a new life, but then is revealed to be like a sort of predator of young boys and kind of a uh, a uh, or young men, as it were, it's kind of men below the uh, the age of good sense, I suppose, or sort of a purveyor of drug induced dependency. Um, well, that's another that's another axis that I want to get to just yet. Uh, just, but like, just briefly, you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And that whipsaw um, that, that that you're describing there, it is it is so disorienting. And I think like that's um, you, yeah, you're right. That this is one of the huge appeals of the show is that um, you're presented one thing and you're given a completely different spin on things, and it just keeps you wanting to watch more. What's the next episode? What's the next thing? Uh, my next assumption that's going to be totally uh, overturned. Yeah, I think my my wife and I both animal uh, purveyor in the show was the Miami drug lord guy. Because I, and I and I thought about why, and it's because he doesn't promise anybody else anything. He doesn't promise anybody else safety. He's like, I love exotic animals. I love to have them. I don't follow the law, 
I make lots of money by doing illegal things. One of the illegal things I do is I deal in exotic animals, right? And, and it's like, and it's like, okay, at the very least, he doesn't appear to be like promising young people spiritual fulfillment by being his slaves, right? Like it's, it still sucks because he's murdering people and, and dealing tons of cocaine and all this other stuff. But it's like, there, that, that this aspect of sanctuary was one of the things that really rubbed me the wrong way about a lot of these folks. Um, again, Carol Baskin, because I, I would also venture to say because she's a woman, is an easy target. Uh, a lot of these guys are, are huge, huge a-holes. Uh, okay, access to meth, right? Like, it's sort of a... Wait, 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 is, wait, 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 Pete, sorry, I want to I jump in on, on sanctuary yeah. before, you, before, okay, you get, before you get, you know, like, next time, meth. But, but uh, <laughs> like... Uh, it it is like I, I think there's a difference. I think you have to draw a distinction between what Joe Exotic does vis a vis quote unquote preying on um, you know the the people who who come to him like uh, and what Doc Antle does right like like yeah. Doc Antle. <laughs> It seems to me to be like, uh, you know, a serial killer. It seems to be a sociopath. You know, like he he's. Uh, kind of seems to be sort of without empathy, like doesn't, you know, really, um, you know, acknowledge other people or her animals or anything as like an ends and like treats them all as means and like, and has a highly systematized sort of ritualized, uh, way of abusing them, you know? And right. to me, that's different. That's really different from, uh, from Joe Exotic, who, who's really messed up, you know, yeah. and like, yeah. <laughs> you know, and for a variety of reasons, like life left that guy, life happened to that guy and he got super messed up without like a, a ton of resources to uh, to heal from it. And like, even without investing details of his biography, like I'll, I'll, I'll bet you dollars to donuts that like, you know, there's serious trauma and you know weird stuff in 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 his past and he is sort of behaving you know he's sort of behaving he's not just sort of, he's not like d deciding to behave and like to to me this is the uh this is the di the difference between the kind of uh, the opportunistic you know like sociopathic one and and Joe Exotic who like is uh all you know violent and misogynistic and uh you know all that granted and also got messed around by life you know a great a great deal um and, and i think to a certain extent like this accounts for you know it's not just kind of disney sentimentality i think there is like in you know kind of natural thinking like there is a way to sort of justify the the idea that you know animals are different than people and it it's that people don't i mean i guess this depends where you come down on on you know determinism and whatnot but like uh people can can decide how to behave and animals can't right like they're they're a product of a you know a set of instincts like no 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 tiger wakes up and decides like hey i'm going to bite someone's leg off today because i'm mean you know, I'm going to tear someone's yeah. arm off today, like in order to be cruel, like a tiger is acting, uh, you know, in, in accordance with tigerness, 
right? In in accordance with like uh, instinct and and evolution and genetics and and all of these things, and doesn't like doesn't form uh, opinions in in quite the same quite the same way. And this is, I think, like th- I think this is important. This this thing is important because like there is a. Um, you know, there is a sort of natural feeling that like animals ought to be treated well. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, the reason I think this is important is that one of the ways discursively to legitimize your tiger viewing operation is to call it a sanctuary, you know, Mm -hmm. rather than, or, and, and I was so struck by like, or rescue is, is actually the one, um, you know, the one that, that a lot of, uh, uh, self-righteous urban dwellers, you know, use these days. I, oh, I got my new dog the other day. Eh, Is she a rescue? Okay. That's not fair. I'm going to say right now, that's not fair. And you just went over the line, Matt. Oh, rescuing, rescuing, getting a dog who has been abused and bringing it into your home to take care of it. To me, feels like a bit different than like starting a zoo where you're exhibiting exotic animals that you like buy at auction, right? Like it's it's like the the difference. It's I don't know. I, there's that's I, just yeah. I think what Pete Matt, what you're trying to say is that there's like a ton of virtue signaling inherent in uh, the vocabulary around rescuing animals, and yeah, yeah, there, there I mean, is. And like you know, the, the mostly you know like the the dog rescue. World, as far as I know, right, you know, is nowhere nearly as problematic as this is a big cat rescue uh, stuff that we saw on the show. I don't think the dog um, rescue so, yeah, there's, world is, there's a, is problematic at, at all. And I, you know, I'm sorry to have offended you, Pete, but I, I wasn't a, trying to equate. Those, I didn't expect to be so offended. I think I'm just emotionally exhausted from watching this television <laughs> show. I'm sorry for snapping at you. Don't, don't worry so, about so, it. I get, I get, but like, no, wait, I can, I can cash this out in a way that, I, yeah. that actually, you know, sort of, you know, gets a, gets a decent point. Um, I, I think there is like a lot of virtue signaling and self-righteousness around the idea of rescuing animals, which is like the, the quote unquote, like domestically, which is the thing that I was having a go at. But, but my, my point is that in the exotic animal exhibition world, right? One of the things that people are trying to do is latch onto opportunistically latch onto this sort of laudable natural moral feeling that we should take care of animals and not treat them badly. And that if they have been treated badly, we should do something to like ameliorate their suffering, you know, that like, um, and that by calling it like a number of these for profit for profit zoos like like exotic animal dealers dealerships or dealers or what I mean I don't even know what to call these businesses how to classify them um, were called like such and such sanctuary or like you know African animal rescue or something like that big this this that rescue and that by sort of cloaking cloaking yourself in the kind of the righteousness of that uh, discursively you're trying to cover a lot of sins that might be that might be going on um going on underneath the surface which is you know to the point of like sanctuary uh that you were trying to make before and and also to the point of um uh things not being what they what they seem which was you know the larger uh the larger thematic material that you were that you were drawing on anyway that's the that, sorry i didn't uh, quite no, 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 imagine that it would be that that dramatic but uh that was the the point i wanted to make about about sanctuary it's a tricky discursive area 
I mean, the fact that we even snapped at each other over it, even without having ill intent at all to any of us, is like a sign that it's yeah, a pretty touchy that, subject. You're sort of walking yeah. in a walking in a minefield, and that uh, this actually, yeah. I think, like gets. Um, this gets at at something, but but you should go on because I've I've seen your list and it's very good. Okay, okay, fair enough. So so <laughs> um, so I'll go jump to Axis Two, although maybe one of the later Axis's. Axis Four was exotic animals, so I'm going to bump that up because we just talked about animals and 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 I think one of the things that is uh, notable about my that exchange that we just had, and I, which is also notable about the progression of Joe Exotic from somebody who starts out with like animals that he is actually rescuing because they were like abandoned, right? To somebody who is breeding animals to keep his operation going, um, and 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 all of that, right? And and comparing the big cat stuff to domestic pets, um, and uh, what what struck me here is that that we like to think that the question of what an exotic animal is. Is, is like a settled question. And it, it, this show to me felt like it poked a lot of holes in and problematized a lot the notion of like an exotic animal and endangered species, right? So yes, people have a lot of sympathy in particular for these grand and beautiful creatures that are, you know, not from around here uh, to a large extent. Um, and, and that comes from their, you know, their beauty, their power. There's all this sort of discussion of what characteristics they have that make people drawn to them. Um, but it's tricky because there's this notion that tigers are an endangered species, right? And tigers and tigers are at the center of this. And they're an endangered species because their habitat has been so greatly diminished to the point that it's really no longer viable uh, for them to kind of, you know, live in great number in their natural habitat anymore. There's only a few thousand of them left. And but the, but they've never lived here, right? They've never really been from North America, the North American continent. They are here because they are being held captive, right? And, and, and held in captivity, as it were, right? Which I guess feels a little different from being held captive. So what does it mean for them to be endangered here? And this, this, these sort of ob, these seemingly obvious solutions for what to do with them. Uh, when you interrogate them a little bit, are not obvious, right? So, for example, um, there's this. Well, there's a. There's. Are you guys Peter Singer fans? Um, not not particularly. I, I mean, yeah, me neither. I don't want to step in another minefield, so I'm not going to talk no, about Peter Singer. I didn't mean to scare you. No, I didn't no, mean no, to, no, no, no. It's not you. You, you did. I didn't mean to do any of that stuff. You did. Um, but but for those that are unfamiliar, Peter Singer is a utilitarian philosopher who is very, very ardently advocating uh, animal rights, right? And the basis for it in, in utilitarianism is this notion that the, the main uh, value metric for kind of all living things is their pleasure and their suffering, right? And, and that the moral obligation as it extends from that premise is that we should seek to maximize uh, the pleasure of the greatest number and minimize the suffering of the greatest number. And this is, of course, problematic because it involves trying to simultaneously maximize a variety of different variables and also because it can actually be measured, even though it claims to rely on measurement. Um, and so and also be so it's hard to measure the pleasure of one person versus the pleasure of another person. And it ends up you end up kind of going to money a lot. And that that becomes tough because the amount of pleasure that different people get from money and the amount of desire people have for money uh, is tough. And also because of various sorts of issues with neoclassical economics. But anyway, getting away from all that. One of Peter Singer's ideas that has always stuck with me is that the great evil in the mistreatment of animals um, is their suffering, 
right? In the suffering in the in their in the process of them being killed for food, raised and killed for food, in the process of them being exhibited in zoos or for furs, right? There's this sort of vast amount of suffering. And there's this question posed to him, which is like, well, if you don't if you don't raise cows for food, then the cows don't exist, right? Because there's no room for cows to just live. And nobody's going to be, this is not a sort of dichotomy solution where either there's going to be a factory farm or there's going to be a cow habitat, right? It's like either there's going to be a factory farm or there's going to be no cows and they're going to be just something else, right? And if you, if that's really the choice, then is it really better for the animals to not exist? And, and, and Peter Singer comes down very firmly on the idea of like, yes, it is better for the animals to not exist because then the animals don't suffer. And the suffering is evil, right? Suffering or it's evil, bad, undesirable, ethically wrong, right? Um, and this is this and this is a really tricky. I don't think that answer is satisfying to a lot of people. It certainly isn't satisfying to me. And I don't necessarily think that it's persuasive um, and because and, and, and I think because it it sort of follows from the premises. But at this point, it sort of feels like a test case. Right. It's like, well, if never being born at all is better. Right. Then like then I don't really feel like that creates much of a solution to the problem, the ethical problems of being alive. Um and, and well, yeah, so it's like, it's like the it's like yeah. the old joke. Like with all these with all these troubles, it would have been better to have never been born at all. But how many men are that lucky? Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> but like this is a real logical problem as well as a as a sort of personal issue. And it seems like that's one of the dimensions of conflict between Carol Baskin and Joe Exotic. Though Joe Exotic never seems to operate on that level. Uh, he says it a couple of times, right? It's like, well, there. Someone says they're endangered. There should be more of them, and you don't think that person is saying it in good faith at the time. But Carol Baskin is saying the problem is not that they're necessarily being held in cages. That's bad, but it's that more of them are being bred to be held in cages. Like I am comfortable holding them in cages because I am not breeding them, and I am also comfortable with it because I'm not doing cub petting, which creates the economic incentive to breed more of them. Which then we are judging that the lives of these tigers are a net negative of utility for them. It is better for these tigers to have never been born because their mistreatment represents such a vast amount of suffering. Um, that just doesn't feel to me like a good answer to the question, right? And I don't know what the answer to the question is. Like the show reminds us multiple times that there are more tigers in captivity in the United States than there are tigers in the wild. So it raises the question of, okay, well, what is a tiger and what is the worth of a tiger? And what does that even mean, right? Um, and I, and I don't necessarily, I'm not necessarily just saying this to try to get away from people telling me that I shouldn't eat meat, but it, 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 it that's, that's part of it. I'm sure I'm, I'm very self-interested as we all are in certain ways. And I'll pick the arguments that reinforce my own lifestyle, just like anybody else. I'm sure, even if I try not to, um, but, but also just this notion of like the idea of what once the idea of saving wild animals in their habitats, preserving their habitats, conserving their natural habitats is relatively simple compared to the problem of what to do with them once they are in captivity, which is complicated and tough. And, and I, and I think that the show does turn on ethical questions of that, but it, it turns more on the fact that we feel like we have comfortable answers to these questions and we don't, um, and that, that was my that was one, I think one of the big engines of all this. And it's it's revealed in this notion of like, well, do you really think that, you know, Joe Exotic on some level has this sincere connection with these animals and he's trying to take care of them Well, more than Joe Exotic, like the Joe Exotic's employee, the tall guy with the blonde hair or the one armed woman. They really do seem to sincerely care for these animals and dedicate their lives to them. Right. And it's, so it's like, is is all of that as a net evil? Would it be better for it to not exist? And I think it's hard to say watching the show in the context of the show that it would be better for them never to exist, 
right? So for the animals not to be there, for the people caring for the animals not to be there. But at the same time, that doesn't solve the problem of the evil of like breeding the cut of the evil, the intentional evil, right? Not the utilitarian evil, but the intentional evil of breeding the cubs for the purpose of taking pictures of them and then killing them, right? Which is which is like the sort of dark timeline narrative for what, say, Doc Antle is doing with his cre- alleged crematoria, right? For for the ga- and gas chambers for mm. lions and tigers and, and whatnot. Um, so that's another one of the weird kind of ethical axes on which this show is like avoiding seeking a resolution and kind of building tension and building conflict. Um, I think. I mean, what do you think? What do you what do you think should happen to the tigers? Um, like, what 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 would you even do with the tigers? Um, like, release them into the like because that one guy at one point says, "Yeah, the tigers in a cage. What you want it to go downtown to the ATM or something or Seven Eleven, right? Like, you, you want the tiger to just be walking downtown to Seven Eleven? Of course, it's got to be in a well, cage. Yeah, you, and you it sounds obvious to, when someone's saying that you can't yeah. release them into to quote unquote the wild, be it like the wild meaning the interstate, you know? But like, yeah. <laughs> but like, yeah, and there there isn't enough there isn't enough habitat, right? Like, yeah, uh, yeah. left in the world for for them to go. And so like, there's, there's definitely like, I think you have to do some like systems thinking. I think you have to do some like Marxian analysis a little bit like the, yes, it is good that it is, you know, uh, there is a kind of a utilitarian good that the, the nice animal caretakers can take care of the animals and be nice to them. And in so doing sort of self-actualize or find a, a useful and kind of, uh, what kind of ennobling role for them themselves in the world. Those things are good. Um, but those things require that there be some tigers already. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so the system that produces the tigers, even, even if there is some utilitarian good to be had, the system that produces that situation can still be bad. Uh, even if under the conditions of, you know, uh, uh tiger capitalism, right. The, the, um, there is an opportunity for ennoblement, self-actualization, um, you know, certain, certain kinds of like dignity being, being enacted. Right. And like, so it, it's, uh, it's one of these things that you, you have to, to point to that's, that's difficult to point to because there's not a single bad guy, but you have to say like, okay, this needs to be sort of systemically, uh, weeded out. And it's not, you know, it's not something that, we're very good at um as a species we're not sort of wired to to think in that particular way um yeah uh that mm-hmm. like uh you know where where should they go i mean should they be i don't know carol baskin's place seemed a little broke down to me like i'd i'd rather them all be in the like the really nice zoo in san diego you know where the they have these many hundreds of acres like recreations of natural habitat where they can live this kind of westworld simulacrum of of you know what their quote unquote natural lives would have, would have been I, but that again that that requires a lot of 501c3s and i'm sure there's a lot of ethical dilemmas and you know the you, i'm sure there's someone out there who's pointing out all these issues that's with that operation as well too i'm sure right i, I mean i'm not gonna like you know I, i'm speculating here but like my broader point being that like one of the one of my big takeaways from this is like uh, uh questioning this notion of what a zoo is yeah right i think there's this whole spectrum of like that crown jewel of animal preservation that san diego Go zoo, and I've been there. It's awesome. I know what you're talking about, Matt. Um, down to 
um, the 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 fly by night roadside attraction uh, that we have here, right? They, they all call themselves zoos and preserves and sanctuaries, and they use all this all this language, but uh, they all mean very very different things. Yeah. And these are problems that have a variety of solutions that can be figured out over long periods of time, for sure, um, and through a lot of work. And I admire people who are able to do it. Uh, I do think the show trades in the difficulty of the question, at least to an extent. But, yeah, I totally agree that, like, the systematic – it's tricky to juxtapose the systematic evil, though, with the individual the – individual, the role of the individual – and what do these individual what are these individual people supposed to do, especially if they're, you know, random, random people? I want to say random people from Oklahoma uh, as if that <laughs> makes it easier. Uh, but it does not because it doesn't. The well, random people in other places have all the same problems. Not, uh, not, not so, real, pe- not real people. <laughs> yes. Speaking of systemic problems, and also, and, also, and, also, yeah, and also random people from Oklahoma. Let's <laughs> <get on> that. <laughs> so here's the story of Tiger King, right? So the, the story of Tiger King is about Joe Exotic. And what happened to Joe Exotic is that in the 70s and 80s, you saw the cocaine trade of cocaine coming up from South America and the United States as a recreational drug that is really that has been in the United States for a long time, but it's really kicking off right and then you have this cheap variant of cocaine called crack which gets really popular in the united states but it has to be imported because it does still involve uh, coca plants from south america and as such the places that have the most access to crack are cities that have lots of trade and ports in particular where they can bring the crack in and this leads in the united states to this perception that the people who live in those cities who have access to the crack and who also want the cheaper crack are like morally inferior to the people who live in places where it's harder to get crack or where crack isn't as big of a deal, right? And this has racial coding to it, where it's perceived as a black people problem that they're doing crack. When I think in 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 uh, a we not, that's not necessarily always the case, right? Not necessarily the case at all in, in a grand sense, but also b uh, this is a problem that has an economic map that has you know that has geographical uh, coincidence to it, right? Like the the coasts have more access to the ocean and they have more access to trade. And so then what happens in the 2000s is you have these chemical alternatives, these synthetic, like like with the case of all food products heading from the 90s into 2000s, people found cheaper ways to use synthetics to create the same sensation. So for example, you don't get chocolate raisinets anymore, you get chocolatey raisinets, which have you know imitation chocolate made from more synthetic chemicals. Um, same thing happened with crack. And it's called meth, and you can make it anywhere. And uh, there's a great show about this called Breaking Bad. Some of you may have seen. But uh, but the introduction of meth in particular, although this also, I think, can be said to be true of, of opioids to an extent, um, really broke down a lot of the at least perceived racial barriers in communities with drug abuse problems by by flattening the map geographically and making rural areas have just as much access, if not more, to these drugs as the urban areas with big ports because you don't have to import it anymore. Um, I mean, they still did, but you didn't have to. And and so I think one of the things that Tiger King and so as is mentioned kind of briefly in one of the episodes, a whole lot of the people on this show are on meth the entire time. Right. They have like very serious meth abuse problems. And uh, and, and I think that. Uh, one of the things that you have to remember about drug abuse and rec- and psychoactive drug abuse is that when it changes the incentives, when, when, when you take a substance that changes the reward 
responses in your brain, you are taking a substance that changes who you are as a person and what your personality is. And because over time, in particular, it will habituate you into changing your values because it will condition you to associate different sorts of things with reward and punishment. This is very, very well documented with uh, opioids and opiates. Um, and I think, too, with meth, it seems at the very least anecdotally observable and so it's like very easy to see to see people who are like wow they really seem to disregard social bonds right oh man these people seem to have like no traditional sort of sympathy for people that they're supposedly hypothetically like married to or like living with or like taking care of they seem to have no regard for safety why are they making these decisions uh you have to remember that a lot of them are on meth and addicted to it. And and again, I'm not saying that this is the root or cause of all of life's problems, but but Joe Exotic in particular seems to be struggling with the loss of this sense of like of a home, right? This idea that he's kind of a libertarian running for governor. He has a publicity stump, but it, but he also is sort of exp, you know, hates the coastal elites. And he's fairly, he's, you know, I think he's at this point overtly Trumpian in real life, right? And it, what this is kind of about is this this loss of the uh, this this loss of the sense that this is a place where this sort of thing doesn't happen. Right. And this this in this lack of a sort of uh, familiarity, it's it's a novel infection to to perhaps uh, I feel like this is a situation where that kind of comparison might be appropriate because it does deal with massive loss of human life. Right. Like this is a thing that these people have not really incorporated into their culture because they had convinced themselves that it was a problem that other people had. And and this is a sort of po and that's what Breaking Bad is largely about, I think, which is about the sort of breakdown of this notion that like white people live above all this. Right. Like if you wear a shirt with collar and you shave your face. Right. And you go to your teacher job, you live above this world of like crime and drugs and desperation. You know, you live in the suburbs. You don't have to worry about this stuff. This is all stuff that the police protect you from and that like other people have to deal with. And then what one of the things that happens with the changing drug supply chain in the 2000s is you see communities uh, which had been you know heretofore not really as involved with this, like really get assaulted by it. By this incentive, right, which had destroyed so many other, not destroyed, but like really damaged so many other lives that had been sort of brushed under the rug unjustly, of course. Um, and so, yeah, and so it's sort of like, like, okay, this in Breaking Bad, we see these transformations. We see Walter White become Heisenberg, right? And we see him sort of like move in and out of the English-speaking and Spanish-speaking circles, uh, which is sort of signifying these, you know, there's different lighting and there's different costumes and there's this transformation that happens, uh, this change, where this rarefied sense of being above the sort of brutal brutality that is that is that is happening in your city all the time, you know, it sort of it collapses, right? And so this is a show that happens after that collapse and 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 you can see right i mean i feel like half of these people would be breaking bad characters and they would be played for laughs right like joe exotic would be a like peripheral character in breaking bad who would be played by like norm mcdonald right or something like that and he would have a tiger is there i think there might even be at some point some sort of exotic animal thing that happens in breaking bad like that where somebody just goes totally makes totally stupid decision but the point being that like this is a show about an america that it also this is a show that's almost entirely about white people which i don't think really gets mentioned enough in people talking about it i mean how many people are in this in this show that aren't white there's the one girl with her arm torn off the woman with her arm torn off there's the the miami drug dealer guy who's only in like one third of one episode um 
But this is a sort of like all these white people judging each other for how they choose to operate this sort of same kind of business. And, and there's this whole interrogation of whiteness that's happening with like the Orientalism and, and then also in Oklahoma, this sort of struggling with the poverty uh, and the meth and the social problems uh, that have kind of really that but also trying to hold on to this notion of it as a sort of Western free place where people have rights. Right. And and like where the government shouldn't interfere, whereas really the government really needs to interfere. Right. Like like the government needs to, somebody needs to govern this situation because it is a desperate need of government and nobody is governing it. But there's this idea that, oh, no, if you leave us to our own devices, we're good stand up folks and we'll take care of ourselves. Well, yeah, but will you do that when you're on meth? Right. <laughs> like and, and and I mean, maybe I don't know. Am I being overly harsh, guys, when I'm talking about it like that? But like, no, I mean, it's um, not, no, absolutely. Absolutely not yeah. over. It it d- destroys lives and it destroyed a lot of these the people's lives in this particular this particular show, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think that like in much the same way that a lot of music um People connect with a lot of music that is about heroin, right? Because her- who don't a lot of people who don't do heroin connect with a lot of music that is about heroin because of this notion of reward structures and, and sort of behavioral patterns that are built around reward structures, which which end up speaking to this sort of human behavior cycles, right? This idea of like love and loss, right? The sort of pain of being without someone, right? The, 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 the sense of not, of like being so deeply satisfied in a, in a special moment that it kind of defies explanation, right? Like these are, these are things that the human brain is capable of doing, um, you know, occasionally, right? Without heroin, right? But like, you know, guns, but Axl Rose will do heroin and write a song about it. And then, and then all the people who felt heartbreak can identify with his narrative that's about withdrawal, right? And, and it's sort of like, in a similar way, this sort of derangement that's associated with the warping of people's uh, reward systems around these these crazy things that throw them off, they blow out and they speak at large to kind of personal experiences that aren't associated with meth. And at the same time, also interrogate kind of social assumptions that make us feel safe and separate from these kinds of problems, which, as we've talked about many times, a lot of people crave because they sense that in that sense of safety, there's like an inauthenticity that they're trying to get around, which you know, then they see it and they're horrified by it and wish that they were safe again, which was what we're all experiencing now. But uh, at any rate, um, anyway, that's that's my rant about meth in Tiger King, which is that it is not emphasized enough based on how important it is to the story, uh, I suspect, um, and, and in terms of how it affects people's behavior. Sure, and, because, and because you know. it's not the Tiger King, and to a certain extent, is selling itself as a drama, right, as a narrative, as yeah. a story, you know, and that like um, it doesn't really work. Uh, it's, right. or I should say it's really hard as a story. If like no one is acting, if no one is making choices, if no one is making like dramatic choices, you know, and that yeah. like, you know, and actually this kind of gets to the point about agency again, uh, you know, with, um, you know, with Doc Antle versus Joe Exotic or with like humans versus animals, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, that that like the when when people's agency are are is taken away, and like when it, one of the best stories about Hera, best, um, one of the most compelling, and as a as a you know non drug addict who has you know dealt with addiction a lot in my family, like one of the things that like helped me get a lot of empathy for the the experience was something that Russell Brand said once, which yeah. was that before he started doing heroin, he had a lot of problems. Um, and when he started doing heroin, uh, his life was greatly improved because he only had one problem, uh, which was, wor- 
where to get more heroin. <laughs> right. And that, right. like, <laughs> and like, you know, hear, hearing that, and like, you know, he's a stand up comedian, so he was saying it for comic effect. But, but to me, there was something a little bit profound in that, uh, you know, about that, like, and like people who are at the effect of people who are at the effect of a powerful drug that are, that is kind of dehumanizing them and taking their agency away, making them not a person in society, making them not a person in relationship, right? Like, uh, it, it makes, it, it makes for a different kind of drama. That's like, that's Tiger the Wire, not Tiger King, you know? And, right, uh, right. And Tiger that, Wire is quite, quite a show. It's, uh, <laughs> this one, this song had put the devil down in the hole, right? I know. I, I thought that I heard it. The hole. I, I I heard that and it was like uh no you can't do that. That that song's that song's just taken forever, you know, like um anyway. The scene uh, the scene where the scene where Carol Baskin was making breakfast and the song was and I don't know what to do with these toss salads and scrambled eggs was just in I mean that song just it belongs to Frasier. You can't just drop it into a Netflix documentary. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. We we're oh. we're kinda coming up on our time, people. Oh, give us one man. more give us one more access. Give us one more. Okay. Uh, as as All a right. teaser, Sorry, and I, then yeah. and then I'll offer I'll offer to people. No, don't don't nothing. You've done nothing. None of us has done anything to apologize for on the yeah. uh, on the show. And 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 I just I leave it I leave it to the overthinkers out there. Uh, write into podcast at overthinking or leave a comment on the show notes if you want more Tiger King because we are capable of delivering more uh, <laughs> more podcasts uh, about Tiger King. So we'll wh- wh- read many more episodes. <laughs> On this topic for you to cuddle with. <laughs> so we've talked about how there is a conflict around ideas of people providing safety and failing to provide safety and the desire for safety and how it motivates the characters. We've talked about exotic animals and how the questions around them are deceptively complex and how a lot of the, the discussion that's happening about them in this show seems obvious or may not seem obvious and is certainly not being done well, but speaks to like a larger problem that at some point or another needs to be addressed addressed, right? Or, or that people do address, but it's not these people. Uh, and at least not robustly. We've talked about the, the 2000s shift in drug culture in the United States, and especially its association with, with rural America uh, and, and the kind of identity crisis in rural America as it sort of became what it looked down on um, and also has it sort of warps behavior and creates, you know, larger than life figures who are willing to record, you know, who would record a weekly podcast for 600 episodes? Now, who would record, you know, a TV show every night for 10 years where they threaten the same person over and over and over again, right? Like what that kind of single mindedness of purpose is. Or offer Mitt Milano's to any. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) It turns out that if you're doing a lot of meth, like fixating on things is a common situation. Um, I will then talk, I will also talk about the notion of culture war, which is very present in this in this show, um, which and, and the way I would frame it. And we've talked about this a little bit because some of the other axes that I had down here that we've already talked about is like it's meta structure as a true crime show, which we've already talked about and serial. Right. Um, the, the notion of them as like cr- tragic figures is not really worth going into too much right now because it's it's fairly straightforward. And, and uh, we could talk about that maybe in a follow up podcast or something. And we've talked about whether you would stay or whether you would go or what you would do or how you would try to fix it, which is uh, kind of irrelevant, of course, because you can't. But at the same time, it feels relevant because, as we've mentioned, shows with heroes aren't about how society should have heroes. They're about how life has subjectivity. Um, And so here's the last one, which is uh, the culture war, which is that you have these people, right, 
And they're all represented by the show as coming from different geographical areas as a way of simplifying and associating them with their different viewpoints and their different self-representations. There are different identities because while they are all white people, they are not all performing the same kind of whiteness, the same kind of identity. In a lot of cases, these are people who see themselves as exotic, right? They, they are seeking to reinvent and re-express themselves. And this is in some way or another is connected to them being associated with giant cats, but they've each arrived at it from kind of a different direction. And these directions, right, uh, put them either in they put them in conflict with each other while at the same time uh, have an inauthenticity to them because they also cooperate with each other. So what I would say is, right, you have you have six of them, which I counted the six big ones, um, although there's really five big ones and one small one, which is Vegas, the Midwest. Uh, well, I guess the Midwest is one of the small ones, South Carolina, Northern Florida, Miami, and Oklahoma. And the two small ones are the Midwest and Miami because Tim Stark, the king in the North, right. Uh, as the sort of libertarian, uh, who, who really, uh, the libertarian entrepreneur who, uh, really doesn't care about any of this performativity and kind of lives a, a very sort of country porch, uh, backhoe kind of lifestyle in this show where he is not really associated with a lot of the pageantry and is more just about the freedom to have animals. Uh, he's kind of a minor figure. And then the, uh, the Scarface analog in Miami who sees the exotic animals as kind of a, a, a sort of endemic or emblematic of his kind of, uh, 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 you know, beyond the law lifestyle, which is somewhat necessitated by him being from Cuba and his relationship with the drug trade to get money and stuff like that. So those are, those are two of them. Right. But if you take the other big ones, Las Vegas, South Carolina, Vegas, you have the guy who's associated with kind of uh, hustling and conning and the sort of and also the fast lifestyle, right? The sort of party lifestyle, tiger cubs as party lifestyle objects. He has this culture that's associated with him with like the Oakley hat and the crazy jacket and all this stuff, right? Prostitution. You have the, yeah. yeah, prostitution, Instagram influencers, uh, you know, all this all this stuff that he's involved with. You know, the, he's the one who's involved with complex financial transactions. He's the one who's involved with kind of like flying off to different places to, you know, disappear for periods of time and coming back. Um, so there's Vegas, right? And he has a particular way of looking at things, which to him seems self-evident, right? Like what's the difference between entrapping somebody, right? And just, and just like investigating them, you know, that this is a game where we're all trying to catch each other. Everyone's running a hustle, right? Then you have the, the South Carolina person who is sort of like the gentleman, the gentleman elephant rider, right? Which is like, life is good here. You know, we're welcoming, we're friendly, you know, I, I pay a lot of attention to doing things right. I have these beautiful girls live here and they love it. Everyone loves it. And there's this sort of relaxed satisfaction. And it's not just about South Carolina, but it's a it's like a, it's positioned in South Carolina in the show. But but just his sort of like easy riding of the elephant is kind of his is kind of his uh, projection of his identity. I'm the one who goes on Leno and is the lovable animal guy. Right. And this harmlessness, this performed harmlessness of all this. Yeah. He, uh, just yeah. To interject briefly. He's, he's, to me, he was coded less representing South Carolina, that geographic place in the United States, and more just kind of like the the, the pseudo Buddhist Eastern yes, philosophy. Yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right, Imported you're right. the United States. Yeah. yeah. It locates him in South Carolina, but he's not South Carolinian. Um, yeah, you're right. You're right. Um, but it, but it's at the same time, it's more upscale than Oklahoma. And then you have you know have, you have the Northern Florida person. Uh, who is, you know, all who is a liberal, who is an, an environmentalist uh, and who ha, who is like uh, has her very strong beliefs about what's right and wrong. Um, but who also, of course, has like, you know, back end probate problems with her relatives. Can I also say, like, 
the one way that you can lose a lot of sympathy from me is cause inheritance problems with your family, like mess with probate, mess with wills, because that I just that just tears people apart. It's the worst. Right. Like and so that was for me a big that was a bigger negative for me for Carol Baskin than her uh, than her the allegedly feeding her husband tigers, which was that her like. You know, not being her sort of like feigned sympathy for her uh, late husband's ex family, right? And like uh, that, just like I don't, I don't like this person anymore. But but that was the level of problem that she was having. How do I get my million dollar inheritance, right? Like how do I secure my like safe lifestyle while also you know impugning the life choices of others? Um, and then you have Joe Exotic, who's the protagonist because he's like a bold original, right? He's, yes, he's from Oklahoma, but he's also like really trying to reinvent this notion of what it means to be a zookeeper. And, and this, this, and he seems to really sort of be this uh, this comet streaking across the sky, right? As as a persona. Um, but the notion is that all of these people start in different places and they all have fundamentally different values the yoga guy the the environmentalist the hustler the like and then joe exotic the tiger king the sort of this whatever it is that he is but because they're all involved in the same trade they're they're so much of what they're doing on a day-to-day basis begins to converge on each other and and then there's this fight wherein there's this sort of push-pull where on one hand they're talking to each other and taking ideas from each other and trying to steal each other's business and they, and so the the businesses are at odds at each other to the degree to which they are similar but on the other hand they're performing this like drastic drastic difference from each other this idea of like i hate you i hate you i believe in different things from you i believe in different things from you i think one of the striking parts of it was when they when enlisting all of the bad things about joe exotic one of them is that he has guns right joe exotic has guns and that makes him scary and i kind of scoff at that i mean yes that's not how you would characterize it necessarily. Joe Exotic like has an unhealthy is a super collector of guns and explosives, which he deploys like in sort of twisted ways, uh, which which would indicate that he is not to be trusted with them. But in a larger extent, if you're just going to impugn everybody who has guns in Oklahoma as being like fundamentally immoral, you're going to impugn a whole lot of Oklahoma. Right. And, and, and so it's sort of like he doesn't just have guns because he's a nutcase. He has guns because of where he's from, and gun culture is part of where he's from. And also, as you recall, she they she was making she was bashing him for having guns, and they were keeping guns by their bed when they were worried about them killing killing her. So it's sort of like it's this idea that the thing that is said is was this is where I think we get into the sort of cultural signification of rescuing that you were talking about, Matt. Too this idea that they all have different norms and they all have different sort of ideas of their discourse and they describe what they do in different ways. But there's this economic gravity that's pulling them all together because they're all in the same market. They're all doing the same thing, whether they, whether they're trying to make a profit or not ostensibly is irrelevant. Right. Whether they're for profit or nonprofit, whether they are like capitalistic or socialistic in the sense of like, oh, you know, my my people are all volunteers and I do this for the good of my heart. And versus like I get my my food from the garbage and like, you know, I I couldn't make do if I had to actually pay for my business. Right. Versus like, you know, I spend fifteen thousand dollars a week paying uh, feeding my tigers. And because of this, I have to charge six hundred dollars for tickets. Right. Like they all have different relationships with money and different relationships with the means and relationships of production. But they're all running exotic tiger and, and lion reserves, which means they all face certain sorts of realities and they all gravitate towards certain sorts of best practices that function regardless of their sort of underlying economic and personal assumptions. And these pull them together. Right. Um, and, and, and so there's this push pull where we look at it and it's like, well, they're so crazy because they they're so similar. 
right? Why are they fighting when they're so similar? They share this hobby, this passion in their lives. Shouldn't these people all be friends? And then I remember that I that I worked at an improv theater for a long time. But no, no, that's, that's neither here nor there. Then I've gone to a CrossFit gym. No, no, no. Uh, then I went to a college. No, no, no. It's um, I mean, that's the joke of right. Like the stakes are so low, and that's why they fight with each other. But it's like, but there really are these. No, vast no, that's why they. That's that these people have from each other. That's why they that's yeah. why they distinguish themselves by what color shirt that they're wearing and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, do a lot of unpaid, la- you know, pay dearly for the, yeah. the right to do a lot of unpaid labor because they were all in an improv theater. Hey, I, I think yeah. we have to wrap it up there. We have to leave this episode. Okay. Uh, I could keep going, man. I could. Over- we can. I mean, there's so, no overthinking you know, of Tyra King, man. It's just leave it's us. Crazy. Leave us, uh, you know, leave us a comment on the show notes if you'd like more more Tiger King next week. Thank you very much for listening. Thank you very much to, to to uh, Pete and to Mark, thank you guys for podcasting with me, and we'll be back with more over Tiger King, over Tigering it next week. <laughs> <laughs> Until then, visit us on the web at overthinkingit.com, a show where we subject Carol Flippin' Baskin <laughs> to a level of scrutiny it probably, it probably doesn't deserve. <laughs> Are you guys making fun of my voice? Are you guys making fun of my voice? I'm a Wario. I'm going to win. Oh, hey, Harvey. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing fine, Wario. <laughs> well, Harvey, your cart is in the is it being shipped. It's tough because it's been hard to ship things because the, the, the trucks are only taking the most essential things on the road. But I am going to get you your go-kart soon. And it's coming with a tennis set. And I look forward to seeing you on the court soon. Oh, thank you very much. I stay up till midnight because that's when Amazon Prime opens up new delivery slots. By the way, I'm sending you a half dozen exotic illegal tiger cubs. I hope you do not mind. Also, turtles with wings. I'm more of a leopard man myself. (laughs) Guys, I'm thinking this might be a bad time to announce our, our apprenticeship program. Oh, over, over, over devoting yourself, over devoting it. Is that what it is? <laughs> over serving it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, if you work hard, you can make just as much money as, as we're all making. <laughs> Go to right overthinkingit.com slash join to become an apprentice. <laughs> also, thank you for the, to the members for keeping the lights on. And we really appreciate you. And we wish that we could pay you. Uh, rather than have you pay us, but uh, but but we we ain't selling tiger cubs to make banks, so it's uh, we, the cupboard was bare, sadly. Hey guys, we should sell tiger cubs to make bank. <laughs> oh my god, we missed that. That was the business model, okay. making the people would yeah. pay for content. <laughs>